0: Macworld Podcast number 405 from May 7, 2014, brought to you by Igloo, an intranet you'll actually like, and two Citrix products, ShareFile, a professional way to share files, and GoToMeeting, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. I'm Chris Green, back for another Macworld Podcast, and I don't know if we have a drum roll or trumpets or a fanfare <laughs> sound effect, but Serenity Caldwell... Ez here. Hi, Ren.
1: Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. I am alive. Mostly. Yay! <laughs>
0: yeah, it's been weeks since we've been together. With duties,
1: it really so. has. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I did not expect to be sick for so many weeks, but uh, but my body had other intentions. So I'm glad to, to finally be back on uh, on the horn, so to speak, with you, Chris.
0: Yeah, and I was sick two weeks prior to that. So yeah, there's this thing going around. It's a a coughing thing. So
1: yeah not so much fun.
0: no, no, and it lasts forever, and nobody told me about this so uh, it's unfortunate, but we're both able to talk again, and we're back so let's talk about um let's talk about apple stuff Ah, uh, apple stuff.
1: well, uh, what kind of apple stuff would you like to talk to you about first chris?
0: well w w d c is coming up it is it mm. happens in the beginning of June, and uh, it seems that every time w w d c comes up. People expect donuts to rain from the heavens, and so
1: all sorts of new products, new products, right? New products, new products are coming. New right. Products new are products, right, new no. products, new products, new
0: products. No. <laughs> and um, but along with it, there have what makes for a story at this time of year before WWDC is stories about what's not going to happen, uh, and it's mostly to sort of calm down. I think people who expect the donuts and the unicorns and the rainbows to <laughs> appear from <laughs> Cupertino. And uh, so a big story, apparently, this last week was that there was going to be no iWatch, and there was going to be no new Apple TV, and uh, are we surprised, or is this just like, or if people who really follow Apple just go, well, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a, a big surprise that we're not going to see hardware announcements at WWDC. We generally don't, with the exception of Macs. Um, for the last couple of years, we haven't really seen, you know, the iPhone has kind of shifted to the fall and the iPad was always in the spring until it moved to the fall. Uh, so I was, I was thinking that maybe we might see a refreshed Apple TV because it would make sense to introduce an SDK at WWDC. Um but that said, I'm not I'm not shocked that there's not going to be one. Uh I think that there there are, you know, there are probably kinks still to be worked out. And also it's the point of, you know, maybe if they're revamping the entirety of the Apple TV backend, they maybe don't wanna re- introduce an SDK and an app store for the Apple TV quite yet. So I'm not I'm not super, super shocked. Uh, as for the iWatch, there was no way that it was coming at WWDC. No way. Um, maybe teased uh but uh they they have so much i think still to work on in that arena and no one still knows exactly what the uh the mythical fitness band uh accessory is going to be that I think it makes more sense to launch it alongside the iPhone or uh, very close to the iPhone if they're really truly trying to make this a partnered device with Apple's tablets and smartphones. Uh, it makes sense to launch in the fall. I have no idea when the Apple TV is going to launch though if, because the fall is starting to get really crowded if we have iPhone, iPad, smartwatch, fitness band, etc., cetera, uh, new Macs uh Christmas <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on in uh in the fall quarter
0: yeah well they, a lot of the stuff is pointed at the holidays and particularly the cons- consumer sort of stuff that comes out of apple i think if history is any guide and i think in some cases it should be What Apple will tend to do is if there's a whole new product category, and I would say that a new Apple TV would be along those lines, particularly if it adds an app store or that kind of thing, where it becomes a a serious platform for developers, Apple's not going to tip its hand by offering an SDK and saying, oh, by the way, there's going to be a device that's going to work with this thing come October. If Apple is really getting off the this is a hobby thing, I think they do the big announcement. They... Populate the device with whatever they've come up with in Cupertino, and then they tell developers about it and say, "By the way, here's your SDK. We hope to see wonderful things from you in the next three months." And then, much like the iPhone and um, and other devices of its ilk, then we start seeing third-party developers on board and then developing afterwards. So that Apple still has that surprise and that big wow that they crave, because that's kind of the way Apple does things. Is announces it's, it's like the second coming. Here's this wonderful device, and it's going to get better because now we've invited people on board to do it. Same idea with the, with whatever the iWatch is, or iBand, or whatever they're going to call this thing, if it exists. Again, make the splash, then open it up, and say, oh, alright, and now you too can join in the party, because, again, they want the big splash, uh, rather than not have the big splash, or tip their hand at and and kind of spoils su- the surprise. And plus, allow the press to jump in and say, oh, well, it's not what we expected. And therefore, it's going to be a terrible, terrible... Doomed. 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 Yes, it's doomed again. Um, so, in terms of hardware, I think what they've typically done is either they have an existing platform like the iPhone. And so they say, yeah, and, and there's going to be the new iPhone coming up. Or they, let's see, they did the Mac Pro. That made sense because it's a professional mm-hmm. gathering. It's for developers. Maybe they do a, n- a new MacBook Pro line because, again, developers, Pro makes sense there. Probably not new because
1: No, not probably not to the fall unless they, if they plan on revving this year.
0: Yeah. And I don't know what else they're going to do with the thing except make it thinner and maybe remove some <laughs> more ports.
1: Yeah. No more. Uh, You like that Thunderbolt? It's too bad. You have to go to Mac Pro to get it. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hook up 60 devices to one computer.
0: (laughs) Not Not going to be an iMac. So um, kind of in line with WWDC, you brought up a story um, about fitness.
1: Yeah. Um, so there have been plenty of rumors going around about what necessarily Apple is planning to do with the iWatch or its fitness technology, including one that was recently debunked. Uh, people have been sort of a buzz over the secret platform, which is this anonymous social network where basically people can say whatever they want and uh, they don't have their name attached to them. So it's basically like the worst version of any comments site you've ever been to. Uh, <laughs> And amidst that, there have been a couple rumors uh, floating around, some of which have turned out to be true, like the uh, the departure of a Google engineer and others, uh, like this recent rumor about Apple EarPods, uh, which Oops. turned out to be not so much. Uh, there was a blog post yesterday about the EarPods foo in which the creator of the secret basically fessed up and said – yeah, I was just telling jokes. I, I had no idea that it would spread this far. I feel really guilty, and I, I feel really ashamed of myself. And FYI, guys, don't believe things you read on an anonymous social network.
0: <laughs> no, but it's about Apple, and therefore it must be true, right? Because we invest all our hopes and dreams in this company in every breath it takes.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so there's that, and then also Reuters, of course, has come out recently and talking about Apple hiring people um, and potentially creating a fitness platform, the likes of the App Store for fitness tech and fitness uh, fitness apps, um, which. Again, uh, if we're if we're talking about Apple sort of expanding onto multiple platforms, it makes sense to have sort of divisions. I mean, the App Store. If the Apple TV ever gets its own sort of set of apps, we might see a subsection of the App Store for the Apple TV. We might see a subsection of the Apple of the App Store for uh, for the fitness band for whatever fitness band fitness technology that Apple is playing with. Uh, but I also am a little hesitant because the last time Apple kind of tried to split their app store uh into a subsection they got newsstand and we've all seen how well that's done uh but the you know, I'll give them. I'll give them some the benefit of the doubt and, and curiosity because you know, newsstand was on a you know a platform that ha- could run the same apps as a normal app store. So maybe that didn't work out quite so well. Whereas if you're splitting out a different app store for an entirely different piece of technology, I could see that potentially working a bit better. Either way, I mean, Apple really wants to sort of hold on to that that app store. It's not really a trademark because I think they got that thrown out, but uh, that app store idea, that app store uh, necessity, more and more credit cards app- added to the Apple Empire. Eight hundred million, I think, in the last uh, in the last call, which is pretty crazy.
0: Wow! When you think about it. Yeah, no, I think that that has potential in terms of financial services, but is because I'm an unfit person in many ways for many things. I. How big is fitness, or is it just the flavor of the day? Can they really have an entire division or area devoted to fitness? I I, I kind of get the idea of of an iWatch do, as being an alert system of some kind. But I think everything I've heard about fitness, it's like, yeah, okay, people are doing this now, but it kind of seems like the latest social networking thing that's hot that everybody's going to pay attention to for six months and then say, no, let's move on to it. To the next thing. How much fitness do we really need?
1: <laughs> How fit do we really need to be, really? But I, I don't know. Um I think that there definitely has been a growing awareness of just general fitness needs, especially among us who sit at computers for long periods of times. You know, 10, 15 years ago, the idea of a standing desk was kind of ridiculous. And now we've We've kind of, uh, it's become more and more, uh, more and more usual to see that in offices and to see that in home offices too um to the point where you know even places like IKEA are looking into selling standing desks whereas before you know you could only get them from really niche places for thousands and thousands of dollars and then you've got your treadmill desks you've got your people who are you know really big on walking the obesity ad- epidemic in the United States has certainly not helped things uh or certainly I guess helped things along from a consumers and users concerned about fitness standpoint uh, I don't necessarily think that everybody is going to be as fitness crazy as as uh, as the world might want it to be. You know, not everyone is anxiously looking at their step count and being like, "Oh God, I've got to get to ten thousand, or my life is ruined." But. You know, I I do think that it's important and I think that there are quite a number of people who are interested in making sure that they are slightly healthier. And if they have a metric to measure it by and that metric, say, comes in a a device that's not that expensive and that links to your iPhone, I think that that could potentially be a really good thing. I mean I wore a Fitbit for a while and unfortunately my Fitbit bit the dust fairly early on. Like everyone's. uh, yeah, unfortunately, if you play a high intensity sport, uh, and lots of sweat, it doesn't really work so well.
0: <laughs> Which seems counterproductive in a fitness yeah, device. Yeah, I
1: know. It's like sweat resistant. Come on, guys. Um, but I, uh, I really like. Checking my steps on on my phone, and I'm not—I'm really not that athletic of a person outside of the whole roller derby thing. Like, I'm not—I'm not the kind of person who's like, "Oh man, I got to do a 50 push-ups a day, or else my life is over." Um, but I do like knowing that I've moved around a little bit, and I definitely feel better when I take you know walks and and their routine, and I've get you know I have some movement every day. Uh, and being able to, you know, the iPhone 5S has the has the M7 processor, which is cool, mm-hmm. and there are some apps, but it's a, you know, the iPhone is still no matter how thin they make it it's still bulky to carry around and you can't necessarily like you're not going to pick up your iphone when you're when you're walking between your you know between rooms right unless you're actually actively checking things on your phone it may be plugged in sometimes it may be elsewhere so i can see the you know i can see the advantage of an external device on your wrist that calculates all sorts of things. Maybe not just steps, but also maybe it does provide you notifications. I would love to be able to leave my phone at home for certain things, like going out to dinner with friends and have notifications appear on the band so that I can either keep track of things without actually having to be one of those awful jerks who's yeah, yeah. like, oh, I got to pull out my phone, do, do, do. Like it would be really nice to to be able to separate from the screen every so often. And I could see uh, a band connected to it as a, as a way to kind of pry us away, f- pry us uh, from our, you know, of screen obsessions without necessarily having us detach completely. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, although some people would say, well, then you're just looking at your wrist all the time instead of digging into your pocket. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: so, so that's still a distraction in, in some way, but I, I think it's a more discreet distraction. So yeah. you just casually going, Oh, but then if you don't have your phone with you and you get this notification, go, oh, I wish I had my phone so I could reply to uh-huh. this thing, but I can't. Maybe if I could speak into it and it has Siri, <laughs> then I, uh-huh. yeah, I I think one of the takes I've liked best about this this week was on Twitter, and I don't know who did this, and I, I apologize for not giving credit, but um, basically it was somebody showing an arm that somebody had inked in on the arm, a band, and it said, you need to exercise more.
1: <laughs> uh, which is essentially,
0: you know, just tap to this on your wrist and you have all the benefits of one of these devices because that's really what it's telling you.
1: Pretty much. Pretty
0: much. <laughs> um, we need to take a break now and uh, we're going to talk about Igloo and intranet you'll actually like. Intranet. It's a way for you and your work team to collaborate by creating virtual workspaces where you can share calendars, work within Twitter like microblogs, share files, and importantly, comment on, rate, and like the work of those around you. Better yet, you can do this without having to call in the IT department, just drag in the modules you wanna work with. And of course, you can create different workspaces for different teams, one for accounting, another for marketing, even one for the company roller derby team. Wanna learn more? Go to igloosoftware.com slash macworld, and you can see a bunch of case studies from their customers. You can head to one of their events, or you can check out their five reasons to switch from SharePoint. So, give Igloo a try. It's free to use for up to 10 people, enough to get your whole team on board, and it's very affordable after that. Igloo also offers custom demos and fully designed proof of concepts for larger businesses. Again, that's Igloo. Give it a try at igloosoftware.com slash macworld.
1: Well, speaking of leaving your iPhones uh, elsewhere, uh, I read an interesting story in the New York Times a couple days ago uh, about the the increasing prominence of people who lose their iPhones using Find My iPhone to uh, to track them. Sometimes, uh, not to the nicest places. <laughs> and I, so, this this New York Times story uh, basically covered a woman who uh, who went out, you know, for a, a fun night. With her friends, and woke up the next morning, and her her phone was gone. But their her iPhone, uh, she had like an iPad, and she tracked she tracked her phone and her friend's phone to a random house in West Covina, um, and then proceeded to get the get the phone uh, the phones back from this man, uh, but not after some persuasion. And uh, her story, in in combination with quite a few others, has uh, police departments kind of worried about uh, people taking. Not necessarily taking the law into their own hands, but uh, uh, maybe maybe going after people and going into locations that may not be as uh, as friendly to the average citizen. Now, West Covina is a lovely place. Uh, I had friends who lived in West Covina when I was growing up in Los Angeles, but there there are other worse places that those phones could have been. They could have been in Compton. They could have been elsewhere. And uh, and there's stories in the in the New York Times piece about you know people who. Went to great lengths to get their phone back, including posing as a date on an OKCupid service um, <laughs> and then showing up with a hammer. Really? Threatening. Yeah. So like there, there's the possibility for the, wrong, the victim to end up uh, getting you know, assault charges or things like that if they, if they think, you know, oh, I'm going to bring a weapon. And then what if you hurt the wrong person? What have you heard anybody for that matter? So, uh, so yeah, there's you know, find my iPhone. I think this is a great technology, and I've actually like I've done this. I uh, I lost my I, I left my phone in a Whole Foods uh, right after I had moved to Boston, and uh, and we ended up tracking the phone uh, down to a part of the city, uh, and I was convinced that you know it was in a it was basically a plaza, and I was so confused because you know it was like maybe they threw it away in a trash can and it wasn't moving so we couldn't figure it out and finally we ended up uh, we ended up calling it and it started ringing and it was uh, this old like this old elderly italian couple and i guess the the woman had picked it up and was trying to trying to get in touch with me but she couldn't figure out how to unlock the phone because it was locked oh. uh, and so she was very confused and and couldn't couldn't quite work it uh, but that was, you know, that ended up being a happy story. But it's still, you know, you you never know what you're tracking, right? And all of us like to pretend that we're uh, we can be the heroes of our own stories and be super spies or uh, or 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 police officers. But uh, in reality, sometimes it it might be better left to the to the
0: professionals. Well, because it, it's an interesting problem in that if you lose your phone and you call the police. Let's, you know, 99 times out of 100, they say, Yeah, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. We're Mm -hmm. just too busy. And they are, they have other things to do. And it turns out that, uh, I I don't know, some huge percentage of thefts are uh, technology that people lose their phones, like like two thirds or something. Oh my gosh. And and the police simply can't do anything about it. They don't have the resources to do this. So they're really going to say, Yeah, you know, wipe it if you can, do what you can about this. But, um, so then you are tempted because of something, this kind of technology to do something about it yourself and say, yes, well, I'm going to get my own, I'm going to confront the person who took it. A lot of times that isn't a good idea. Um, better just to wipe it and let it go. Um, so hopefully you set up a passcode and that you can get it through, i find my iPhone and wipe the thing out and iOS 7 has made that easier so that people can't get your data because really that's the important thing more than the device itself
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: you are tempted. So I think with everything like this, you have to use some discretion. And unfortunately, Google Maps and, and Apple Maps don't include a feature that, you know, where you turn it on, it says bad part of town. Uh, so you can see where your phone is. Oh, is this in a good <laughs> part of town? Oh, it's in a bad part of town. Okay, I won't do it. I suppose you look for the railroad tracks because if you're on the other side, that's always the...
1: <laughs> then it's clearly the wrong side. <laughs>
0: clearly it's the wrong side. Even though you're on the wrong side, I guess it's, it's always the wrong side. Um, I find Find My iPhone really great because I constantly put my phone somewhere. My daughter uses it a lot because she... Where's my phone? Well, let's find out. Let's call it or let's use Find My iPhone to, to ring the thing. And that's great. But if I lost my phone and I saw that it was headed toward the bad part of town, I think at that point I would just say, you know, it's not worth it. Um, uh, It may have been a mistake. I'll do what I can by posting a little message on the phone saying, please give it back, give me a call. But beyond that, I think uh, people should be wary about using this technology because uh, you could get in trouble.
1: Yeah, the last thing you want to do is end up in a situation where you know ultimately it's over a three four hundred piece four hundred dollars piece of technology um, where your life could be threatened. You know, that's that's not something you want to dabble with.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of cases, if you have like homeowners insurance or renters insurance, sometimes these devices are covered, and so it's worth giving them a call. And saying, you know, I lost my phone and I think it was stolen and here's where it is. And the insurance company may say, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going to cover that or we'll cover 80% of it, which is, I think, you know, it's worth losing that 20% versus getting hit over the head.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. um, Not to hit you over the head with another ad, but um, let's talk about the first of our Citrix products. And that is ShareFile, the professional way to share files, I think that we're aware that there are countless ways to communicate with other people, but a lot of us still rely on email to communicate with our clients and our coworkers. And we're frequently exchanging files like contracts and spreadsheets and presentations. These are the kinds of files that we don't want to share with the rest of the world. But if you're sending these important or confidential documents as regular email attachments, you need to know about a better way. And that better way is ShareFile by Citrix. Instead of attachments, ShareFile sends your documents as secure links, so you can quickly send files of almost any size, and this is gigabytes we're talking about. You can control who has access and how long they have access to the files, and you can receive email alerts when files are opened and reviewed. Plus, ShareFile is easy to use and will help you work more efficiently. It keeps everyone on the same page with shared documents that sync automatically. And you can access files from anywhere using your computer or your mobile device. Now, because I care a lot about security, I often share really important files via ShareFile. If you'd like to as well, sign up today for the 30-day free trial. There's no obligation. Just go to ShareFile.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld. Okay, another thing that came to my attention this week is a report. This is a report from a a company called Level 3. What Level 3 does is it acts as a go-between between between, uh, broadband providers and uh, outside services, um, Internet services. So what they're suggesting is that in markets where a broadband provider owns that market, uh, it's a certain city and only one provider whether it be Comcast or Time Warner or AT&T has that market, they have noticed patterns where certain kinds of Internet traffic are slowed down. And yet, in other markets where there's competition, there isn't a slowdown. And it appears that um, these broadband companies can make these problems go away. And the way you make it go away is you give them money. Um, So I think this speaks a little bit to the net neutrality things going on with the SEC, also the fact that Netflix has found itself paying both AT&T and, uh, or is it Verizon, I think, and and Comcast, so that their content doesn't look terrible. And now we're getting more data that says, you know, this is bad, that if we don't have true net neutrality, uh, your programming is not going to be great or your services are not going to be great unless somebody pays. And ultimately that means that we pay and uh, i don't know what the takeaway is from this other than wow that sucks
1: yeah i'm it's such a it's such a frustrating thing to talk about because it's nothing the the only thing that we can do right now is demand from our congressmen and demand from the from the our government that something be done to regulate this uh because right now the fcc doesn't The FCC potentially has the power to regulate this uh, but they have not so far uh, put forth a proper stance. Right now they've just kind of been dancing and tiptoeing around the issue uh, where they could potentially uh, regulate things but maybe not in such an ironclad way and uh, and it does not help – that the FCC's board is currently made up of former lobbyists and mm-hmm. people who were FCC f- folks are now at are now lobbyists for companies like Comcast and Verizon and and basically, you know, they know all the loopholes so they're now exploiting them. Um there's there's just there's a lot wrong in this arena right now and there's not there's not much we as citizens can do beyond, you know, going to going to places like Save the Internet and signing petitions and calling your congressman or woman and and getting something done.
0: Yeah, and I think what Level Three is saying is, if there were competition, or there, they're using it as, as an example, say, look, here's a competitive market and this isn't a problem. Here's a market that isn't competitive and it is a problem, and yet. Uh, the people at the FCC are saying, well, and they're, I think, being intentionally naive, where they say, well, but if anybody abuses this, we'll do something about it. Which is hardly the kind of thing that you can put into a regulation, right?
1: Yeah, and
0: people are already abusing it, so. <laughs> yeah, it's going on. I mean, it's pretty clear. And even Netflix, who's paid up, they've paid the price to do this. Is complaining about it and normally this doesn't happen when you have these kind of business arrangements between one party and another, and somebody's giving you money and you know that they're doing it in order to get a, a certain result they shut up about it for about two weeks and then after paying you know and supposedly having this relationship with this government they say we have to do this they're making us do this otherwise our content looks terrible and so even at this higher level the people who were involved in this, at least one of the parties, is saying, you know, this is this is bad. This is, this is going on, and you know who's going to pay for it. It's going to be you people. And yet, I, I, I agree that there, the frustration is that ultimately nothing is going to happen. Because with the way the political parties are set up now, at least one party is going to do nothing about this because they're so free market. And again, it's sort of this Pollyanna world where they say, oh, well, you know, we'll just... All there needs to be is competition, as if that can happen, because one, these certain broadband providers own a market, it's basically a monopoly, and two, trying to set up the infrastructure to provide an alternative is impossibly expensive. You're not going to have another company come in and lay different cable, because the other uh, company is certainly not going to share it. Uh, We're not all going to launch satellites, and lay fiber to make this happen. And so we are kind of stuck. And on the one hand, we've got representatives who won't listen, at least enough of them to stop anything from happening. And then uh, people are sort of in the pocket of the, uh, of the broadband providers. And I mean you FCC and, um, and then even the president who says, yeah, I'm campaigning on net neutrality. And yet when push comes to shove, he puts something like this in charge of the FCC. And then, there's nothing to follow up except say, well, yeah, you know, we ought to do something about that,
1: yeah unfortunately it's there's not uh there's not much we can do,
0: really, can't we just complain about it on a podcast and we, I guess change? we could,
1: I, yes, complaining about it on a podcast definitely a little uh, a little soothing. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we I guess we can vent our splings. Um no, but you did say there was a petition people could sign if I don't know how often this helped. but what
1: the Yeah, f- well, the White House I mean, the White House has made a, a promise to look at all petitions that receive over 100 sig- or over 100,000 signatures in 30 days. So there is one that's going on on whitehouse.gov. I think it's slash /petitions. I'm not entirely positive. And then savetheinternet.org has information on what you can do to to help uh to, to help prevent uh, people like Comcast and Verizon from, uh, from messing with internet speeds.
0: Okay. Well, then uh, for any of you who are upset about this, as we are, go ahead. Sign up. Just because I, I like the 100,000 uh, signatures thing. I think they had to address the Death Star at one point because they got enough signatures, and they had fun with that. But I do like – I like to having at least a certain level where the White House has to respond um, I, I don't think they can get away with just saying, "Yeah, you're right. We you really should do because you know they're complicit in this as well." Yeah,
1: absolutely. Despite you know net neutrality was theoretically one of Obama's primary yeah. campaign platforms, and uh, right now not seeing so much. So
0: yeah, well, and it's it's not that he hasn't. Uh, or any politician hasn't backed away from promises that once they get into office and say, Oh, ain't
1: that the truth. Yeah, (laughs) Now
0: that I've looked at it, I think I've actually changed my mind because there's a bucket (laughs) of money over here that says so. Okay. um, We're going to wrap up, but I, uh, before we do a word from Citrix again, go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online. Whenever you need to, wherever you are. If you're in business, you understand that building a strong relationship with your team is a key part of what you do. You need to meet and collaborate with coworkers and clients on a regular basis to brainstorm, develop quality ideas and solutions, and just work better. But gathering everyone in the same room isn't as easy as it once was. In our case at Macworld, we're scattered all over the country. Some of us are back east, some of us are out west, and some of us are up north. So how do we get together? Well, Citrix GoToMeeting is one solution. It's the powerfully simple way to meet in person, online, from anywhere, anytime. We like GoToMeeting a lot. One of the reasons is is the video quality is really good. Some of the free solutions we use, you know, the video gets done, but it looks a little hazy. With GoToMeeting, the quality is really really good. Plus you can share files, you can share your desktop, you can speak to other individuals in a private setting. And it's really easy. Just sign up for GoToMeeting from your computer or mobile service and launch your first meeting in seconds. You'll be able to share the same screen to collaborate on projects in real time and just turn on your webcams to see each other face-to-face. Here's how to get started. Start your free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code MACWORLD.
1: So, uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, Angela Erranttz has officially uh, is officially part of apple she 's on the bio page she 's the only woman, um, although you could argue that uh, that Katie Cotton really should be up there but but doesn 't want her photo up there so So there are more women at the company, but Angela Erranttz is the first prominent woman at Apple, and she is also taking over the uh, the somewhat beleaguered retail job. Um, now, as a former Apple retail employee, uh, I I love Apple retail dearly. I think it is a phenomenal place uh, for new Mac users and existing Mac users to learn more about their uh, their computers and their iPhones and their iPads. Um, but Apple retail, you know, has hasn't been. Going as far as I think Tim Cook and the rest of Apple would like it to be going, um it's hit some slowdowns in terms of new store openings uh profits have been essentially flat for a lot for the last couple of quarters, whereas they were you know Apple retail was sort of galloping up a mountain here, so I think uh I think it's Apple Retail potentially has a has a a chance to sort of jump forward with a, a new face, fresh start, uh, and uh, I, I'm really I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what Angela Ahrens brings. Uh, I, I did a lot of sort of research into what she how she ran Burberry and and her background and some of the technical innovations that she brought to Burberry are really quite interesting uh, in terms of she was working with not quite eye beacons, but uh, a similar technology that basically uh, had uh, screens in every store that as you passed by would show the item that you were currently carrying and, you know, various uh, ways for you to, to wear it or hold it or wrap it, etc Uh And, I I think that she could potentially do a lot of good for the company. I definitely you know Apple retail's sort of Apple retail's core credo is about helping the people uh, who come into the store and about making it a safe space for new customers and existing customers alike And while I don't think that they've super strayed from that message, you definitely get the feeling when you come into a retail uh, an Apple retail store lately that it's it's less about, uh it's it's becoming less about helping the people and more about uh pushing the sale a little bit and that that kind of that bums me out because when i when I worked at apple it was very much uh was very much we don't want to push a sale on you we want to make sure you walk out of here with the right thing uh we want to make sure that you have enough time you know you get helped at the genius bar when you need to. That you're learning what you need to in the workshops or the one-to-one sessions. Like, there's there's so much that you can do at a store, and I feel like uh, just the the past couple of years have been really poor at illustrating exactly why those stores are so important to Apple and to Apple's customers. So I'm I'm excited to see her take the mantle, and I'm looking forward to to what she might bring. Chris, what about you? Do you do you think this is a good a good move? Are you is there anything about the Apple stores that you'd want to change?
0: You know, I think that the Apple stores are a victim of their own success, and I think that's kind of what you're seeing the changes that have been made, um, or the the difference of the store that you've seen over the last couple of years. When I go into an Apple store, the place is packed all the time. I can go midday, Wednesdays, and there's still a ton of people in the stores. Now, granted, I'm in an area where we don't have an Apple store every seven blocks, you have to go to a town to go to the Apple store. So it's sort of the hub for that area. And, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It's, you know can no longer walk up to the Genius Bar and say, hey, can I talk to you in 10 minutes? Yeah, no problem. You have to make the appointment and, and get there. I've heard from relatives who have signed up for one-to-one. They say, yeah, it's great when you can get in, but there's so many people buying new Apple products who are new to computers or new to mobile devices that want that kind of training that it's more difficult and more crowded for them. And so a lot of times they just say, yeah, forget it. I don't want to do it. So I do wonder what she's going to bring to this because it, it may be that, that Apple retail stores have plateaued, but look, you know, look at how they are. That's, that's a good plateau to be on, right? It's not that you walk in there and they're always empty or they're not successful. I think they're really successful. So the question is, how do they, rejigger the thing so that they can maintain the number of people they have coming into them and the popularity and yet make them more helpful than they have been and then as you say go back to that sort of core we want to help people learn about their technology love their technology and really feel like they've had a great experience not just in purchasing stuff but in how to add uh, this technology to their lives and make them better somehow so I do think that's a, a sort of an interesting problem for her. If you, if you look at what you did at Burberry and the, and the kind of monitors that were set up for example, how do you do that in an Apple store when you, you're cheek to gel with lots of other people who are going <laughs> ooh. And also I think a lot of the success of the Apple store depends entirely on what Apple's released lately. If they haven't done anything in eight months then it's still a fun place to stop in and kind of look at the stuff that you don't have. But if there's a new iPhone out, if there's a new MacBook Air, if there's – let's say there's a new Apple TV that has a completely different take on media, then they're going to be even more crowded. And uh, and then, you know, retail sales go up and we say, oh, it's, it's a much more successful store. Yeah, well, it is because of the products, not because of any change they've made at the store.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things and one of the big challenges that they're going to have and one that I hope that they pursue – is uh, pitching the Genius Bar and the workshops and the one-on-one trainings as more of an essential Apple Store experience, mm-hmm. because if they focus more on, you know, being being an Apple customer is not just about having the latest and the greatest gadgets; it's about being able to interact with fellow Apple, you know, fellow Apple. Uh, not devotees is the wrong word. Fellow Apple uh, fans, there we go. And uh, and being able to learn about your technology without being without feeling like a dum dum or having to to watch things online or you know try to st- stumble through things yourselves, uh, I there is potentially the great a great place for community at the Apple stores. Uh, and they I don't they've kind of backed away from that in, in the last couple of years, and I'm really kind of hoping that they they bring that back. You know, like there used to be the launch parties for, the o, for OS 10 and uh, and certain Apple stores, the high profile Apple stores still hold events where they come and get guest speakers to come talk about their Apple relationship. Uh, but the, the the weekly workshops, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're just not emphasized. And it would be—I—I I would really like to see that change uh, in the future.
0: Well, and a lot of those stores that did have those things, where they used to have the theater seatings and the big, big screen, they pulled them out because they want more retail space. And I like that stuff. I thought the training, where there'd be somebody up there telling you about how the iLife suite worked, and, and the presenters were all really good. You learned a ton of stuff there. And I, whenever I went into an Apple store, and one of these things was going on. They generally had. A good audience. It wasn't standing room only for everything, but you'd have, you know, 15, 20 people sitting down learning about this, taking notes, going, oh, I had no idea I could do this. So part of it maybe is just having the space to it. I don't know if you have to create the newbie corral or something where it's like there's an area of the store where you conduct one to one and you're away from kind of the retail people. And instead, you have a quieter space that you can do training and you can do these kinds of presentations. But on the other hand, Apple is, has a lot of these little stores that you can't do that in. They're just little boxes where you can get the coolest stuff. And not every town has the capacity to have a um, have a big theater kind of store. So again, it's an interesting issue. How do you get that training? in such a way where the people getting it don't feel like you're crammed into one little table somewhere and there are people pushing and shoving you and making huge amounts of noise because they're so excited about the stuff going on around them. So I would say to Angela, good luck.
1: (laughs) You have a challenging time ahead of you.
0: Yeah, you know, and interesting, because the person who had it before I think was notorious... Basically, for just messing it up, right? I don't think there were any new initiatives coming out of him. It was mostly saying, well, we're going to cut back on the number of people we have working there because we want to save money. And, uh, and it just sort of like, it seemed a very sort of cheap retail take on it. Like, well, we, we do better by save by cutting back. Yeah. And, uh, given that I think she's a high profile hire and that the, it was important that they have somebody like, a Ron Johnson there, you know, who totally gets it and wants to have a a really attractive retail experience. Um, I don't know what she's going to do, but I do think there's going to be something happening there. There's going to be a new take on this because uh, otherwise, you know, they could throw just anybody in there and, and, uh, you know, hope that it works out.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that they picked her, and I I look forward to what she has to bring.
0: Well, we look forward to that, and... um, I can't come up with a transition. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> what we'll say here. And uh, and I expect both of us will be here again next week. So Fingers
1: uh, crossed. No more plagues. Yes, no, no more, plagues. more
0: plagues. Well, we're going into summer here in the northern hemisphere, so uh, plague season is over.
1: Thank goodness. I am. Ho- I actually have my windows open today. It's very nice. It's, but it's warm not, weather. It's not
0: <laughs> snowing there still. <laughs> Are you totally no, done with the snow? Now? You thinking-
1: We're done with the snow. There's green grass.
0: Wow.
1: There's green grass. There are people mowing. I I can actually hear a mower outside, which which probably means that spring is officially here.
0: And a bus.
1: And a bus, yes. Okay. That's the,
0: <laughs> that's the bus scattering wildflower seeds throughout the city.
1: <laughs> that's oh. the bus that tells us it is time to go. Oh, Hannah, it's the goodbye bus. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the goodbye bus. Okay,
0: well... It was great talking with you again this week,
1: man. As it was with you, Chris.
0: Okay. Let's see to the next one.
1: All right. Sounds like a plan.
0: And that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, and from Citrix ShareFile, the professional way to share files and go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to wherever you are. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to you for listening.